Hello and welcome to Grace Life Stellenbosch. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity.
uh, grace is the answer. Last week, we looked at can you, um, what does hypergrace mean? And um, some people would be anti-hypergrace. Uh, some people would be for hypergrace. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't care. Um, you don't need to worry about it, but just know that you are eternally and forever forgiven. <laughs> and the word says where, uh, where sin increases, grace super abundantly hyper increases. Hyperparisio is the Greek word. So yes, we are a hypergrace church, if you were wondering. Um, but we, the next verse basically says, like, should we go on and sin? And then Paul says, no, God forbid. So, like, you're forgiven when you sin, but it's still stupid to do that. <laughs> and that's really important because sin hurts, sin kills. The wages of sin is death. So I want to continue this morning, and I want to start with the baptism of John. And the baptism of John really wasn't just a washing. It was a, a, a washing unto repentance. Now, I don't know what your understanding of repentance is. I think we touched on repentance last week just a little bit and said, like, repentance is not confession. Like, it's two different things, two different words. But in our minds, maybe in our understanding, in our upbringing, we've sort of divulged, divulged the two or divulged the two into one and said, like, repentance is confession. You need to repent of your sins, meaning you need to go and confess your sins to someone. And that's really not, like, what it is. Repentance, the word is in Greek, metanoia, which means to change your mind, change your thinking, even change your direction. And what, um, what, what John then comes in, he says, guys, you need to start thinking different. Okay, that's the baptism of repentance. So we think the baptism of repentance is stop sinning because the Lamb is coming. No, that's not what it says. The baptism of John is, listen, you need to start thinking different about how God wants and are going and is going to deal with your sin problem. That's really the message of John the Baptist. Prepare the way for the Lord. Because the way for the Lord wasn't like Hosanna be holy because they killed him the next day. <laughs> so that's fickleness. That's humanity. Um, if you live by people's praises you'll die by their criticism. Okay, So we don't live for the praises of people, and we don't trust princes. We don't trust in people because people will disappoint you. But um, yeah, we wanted to just start with that and, and see like what was John all about? What was his ministry? Because now Jesus himself says that John was the greatest prophet who ever lived. So then what is the greatest message before, before Christ? <laughs> or the greatest prophecy is change your thinking. God does not deal with sin the way you think he does. So what did they think? How did they understand the, the issue of sin and how to deal with it? And that was sacrifice. The sacrificial system. The, 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 um, call it the Aaronic system. The Mosaic law. And that's what John comes on the scene. He says, guys, you're missing it. You're missing it. God does not um, enjoy sacrifice. Hebrews 10 says it clearly. In sacrifice and sin offerings, I have no pleasure. Um, and, and, and we have this mindset that we need to just obey the law, be good people, be good Christians. And then we come to people who are dead, like what you said, like, and, and, and we want to show them to be better, and they're like, but that doesn't matter, like I'm dead. So if we're not alive, what does it help us not to sin? And we went wait, um, last week back to the, to the garden, and we said, well, there were two trees, weren't there? And the one tree was what? The knowledge of good and evil. And how much of... Not just the church, but the world today, 8 billion people, a little bit more probably, live according to the principles of who's good and who's bad. What's good and what's evil? Who feeds the poor and who doesn't? And then we somehow have this understanding that we have a scoreboard, and in the scoreboard we're going to have to, um, or, or the, um, the, 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 the scales, you know? You have more good or more bad the day that you die. Only me that like, grew up thinking like that. I'm getting frowns from everywhere. Like, it's good if you frown because you know where we're going. Amen? You've been here long enough. If you haven't, welcome. 
So, the baptism of John was unto a new way of thinking, realizing and waking up to the fact that God is dealing with sin much different to what they expected. So, in Acts 18, we see a minister called Apollos. Again, now, verse 24 says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. So, this is a a, a well-known minister. He's eloquent. We have some of them on TV, don't we? He is well-versed in the Scriptures. He can quote every verse. He came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So it shows us that he was passionate. He was going for it. He was ministering. He was well-versed in the Scriptures. He was eloquent, but he was ineffective. Okay, I'm adding that. Because why? He only knew until the baptism of John. Okay, so he didn't preach the full gospel. He probably wasn't saved because the word there, fervent in the spirit, means attitude. Doesn't necessarily mean Holy Spirit. Powerful spirit. Wasn't dunamis necessarily. Because there's not power in the spirit, he was fervent. Now, we need to look at that and realize that some people camp there all their lives. In Mark 7 from verse 13, you can look at it, and Jesus speaks to people and says, listen, he speaks to the Pharisees, and he says, you are the hypocrites, the pretenders that Isaiah prophesied about in Mark 7. And he says, you would put the tradition of man above the power or the word of God, and by doing that, you're actually negating the word of its power. So some people will be so about the things of God that they miss the God of the things. Okay? Now we go on, and we read in verse 26 then, that he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Isn't that beautiful? This guy's going for it. He's ministering. He's eloquent. He's knows, he knows the scriptures, but he doesn't know the full revelation. The word expound there is to unfold, to explain. So they took him aside. It's beautiful. They didn't say, hey, you're wrong. They took him aside and they went to a private place and they asked him some questions probably. We looked at it in, uh, in um, Manakeir on Friday morning and we saw how Jesus, even as a 12-year-old, ministered. And he ministered, you know why? How was he noticed? Not because he knew everything. He knew everything. But the word says that he listened and he asked questions. Which is such a form of humility. And because he listened and he asked questions, they took notice of him and said, hey, this guy's got good questions. I don't know if you've ever been in a business meeting and someone is making it up as if they know everything. And you can see it. like It's like this guy is performing. And I just sit back and let him finish and then you just ask one question. And the whole room goes like, okay, what's going on? You see, questions really is a humble way, but it also is a way of respect. But it's also a way of showing us, Then um, Jesus ministered questions, and there's many questions Jesus never answered. You know, often Jesus answered a question with a question. Where I believe sometimes we are maybe two know-it-alls. We're not humble enough to get the word across, because it's your opinion against my opinion. You know, what's the problem with... Uh, uh, opinion is like a nose. Everyone has one and it's always full of holes. <laughs> so your opinion, my opinion, who cares? Well, when we ask a question, it says, Hey, but doesn't the Word say this and this? Well, let's go to the Word and look at this. Then it's not my church, your church. It's not this or that. It is what does the Word say? What does God say? Amen? So we need to look at what we have in the Word. And they took Him aside and expounded unto Him the way of God more perfectly. 
And I believe that's what we're trying to do in this church, is we want to get to the perfect way. Amen? The fullness of the truth. And it was disposed to pass to Acacia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much with, had believed through grace. So how do we believe? Not through baptism, but through grace. Okay? For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. You see, he moved on from ministering the baptism of John, now to ministering the fullness of who Jesus was from the scriptures. And that's really where the ministry started for Apollos. Now we go to John 1, and he says, and verse 26, John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who comes after me and is preferred before me, whose shoes latched I'm not worthy to unloose. Okay, so now he's prophesying. All these events took place at Bethany, where John was baptizing at the place of the crossing of the Jordan River. The Passion Translation gives us that information. You know what's amazing? John didn't just baptize anywhere. He went to the place where the Israelites crossed the Jordan before they entered the Promised Land. And while doing that, he showed them, listen, what happened in the Jordan River when the Israelites and Joshua crossed, I'm now pointing you to that which was promised there, and it is about to be fulfilled. That is preparing the way of the Lord. Taking them back to Genesis and Exodus, saying... The old man will die and the new man will rise with Christ. Old creation, new creation. Change your way, change your thinking. He took them away from sacrifice, away from the temple. Think about that. Out of town to the Jordan. And he says, guys, you think you're dealing with your sins there at the temple. Let me show you a different way. Let me show you God's way, isn't it? Now you think God is in the Holy of Holies, but God was in the burning bush. God was with the Israelites. The word in Corinthians says that uh, Jesus was the rock that followed them through the wilderness. The rock that water poured out. So we need to change our thinking just a little bit. Verse 29, the very next day, John saw Jesus. So John is where? He is in the Jordan River, right where the Israelites crossed. And you know, they crossed in flood season. Yesterday, where we did the wedding... We, we, we crossed the N2 where the N2 disappeared a few weeks ago. Then if you remember with the floods, the N2 was gone. And yesterday, we, I'm so glad <laughs> they rebuilt that piece because literally it's like 100 meters and then you have to turn right into uh, the, the area where we're at the wedding. And you know what? The Israelites didn't cross when it was dry ground. It became dry ground when the, uh, the priests and the Levites walked in and started praising God. And it says the flood or the, the flow of the water didn't stop there. It stopped at the city called Adam. Way upstream. And they stood there. And you know, when Moses opened the Red Sea, it happened probably instantaneously. Now his successor comes and it doesn't happen instantaneously. And I'm sure everyone is looking and like, you know, like, where's Moses if you need him? You see, but there's a new way. When the flow stops at Adam... And then we enter into the promised land. Because Jesus came as man, took on flesh, became sin, so that we could come and be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So what happened with the Jordan is what John the Baptist says, Hey guys, what was promised there, I'm reiterating so that the fulfillment is coming in Christ. Change your thinking. Repent. Not confess. Okay, let that just... Hang there for a bit. <laughs> Let's just take that for what it is. Okay? The very next day, 
So he just taught them that the Jordan River at the crossing, this is where we're going to change our thinking, because why? I'm preparing the way for the Lord. The next day, John saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized, and John cried out, Look, there he is, God's Lamb. He takes away the sin of the entire world. So I'm asking you, what was John's message? God's going to deal with sin in a different way than what you think. There he is. He's going to deal with your sin. The Lamb of God. What is he going to do? He's going to take it away. Whose sin? The entire world. So what does that do to the sin offering? What does that do to the temple? What does that do to the sacrificial system? If all sin is taken away, a lot of that falls away. A lot of that is actually fulfilled. That's why Jesus came as a lamb. God dealt with our sins. We don't have to. That's radical grace, by the way. You know, so many of us are caught up in not sinning or saying sorry after we've sinned. Where sin is not the issue. If you're living whether I've sinned or not, what is the sin? You know, kids grow up and they're like, how far is too far? Teenagers, unfortunately, do the same thing, just in a different way. How close is too close? How far is too far? When is it sin? When isn't it sin? See, that's the wrong question. We should just say, hey, I'm not interested in sinning because I'm not a sinner. I'm born again. I'm righteous. I'm born from above. Think about things above, not of things of the earth. Colossians 3 is clear on that. It's like, guys, stop lying because you're not liars. You used to be. You're born again. So if you have a mindset of, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you were a sinner. You got saved and now you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Start living like it. Amen? Yes, it's good to say sorry, but if you don't, you're still forgiven. Another one of those that we need to just, just hang there. You know, if you bribe patties on a fire, you, don't, you shouldn't turn them too much. Then they fall apart. So I'm not going to give you too much today. But what I want to give you, I just want to leave it there just a little bit so that we, we have a nice meal together. And you have enough to chew on. So you come back next week. So, God dealt with your sin. You don't have to. Ezekiel 36:25 says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. Who's going to do the sprinkling? Not the Dermny. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. What's your role? Open the door. You know what we call it? Belief. That's what we looked at last week. The only sin that will keep you out of heaven, out of eternity, is unbelief. John 12. He will send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, to lead and guide you into all truth. And he will do three things. What will he do? He will convince, convict of righteousness, of sin of righteousness and judgment. And then people stop and start a ministry, write a book and say, oh, the Holy Spirit is convictor. He will tell you about your sins. No, read on. He says, of sin because you believe not on me. Of righteousness, because you go, I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment, oh yeah, God, there you go, Peter. No, of judgment, because the prince of this world has been judged. Amen. See, we just need to read the word in its fullness. Because it's explaining itself. I will put a new heart on you. I will sprinkle you. I will clean you. I will clean you from all your filthiness. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will take out the old heart, the stony heart, out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you shall keep my judgments and do them. 
And you shall dwell in the land that I give you to your fathers. And you shall be my people. And I will be your God. Who's dealing with sin? It's the wrong question. Who dealt with sin? This was a promise. This has been fulfilled. Your sin's been dealt with. You are forgiven. Believe. How do you get into heaven? Believe. Where is heaven? Different message. Come back next week. <laughs> Not want to get into that. Verse 29. This is the first part. There says, I will um, also save you from all your uncleanness. I will. The Lord speaking. His words. I will clean you. I will save you from your uncleanness. Let's go to Romans 3 verse 20. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. This is in your Bible. By the deeds of the law will no flesh be justified in his sight. That's not going to work. Let's go that way. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law. The righteousness of God without the law is manifested, made visible. They didn't say, uh, come to be. What is manifestation? If a demon manifests, it was already there. Let's just use the example that everyone is expecting. (laughs) The righteousness of God without the law was there already. It just manifested. Because Galatians says, whatever was promised, the law came in 300 or 400 years later, cannot disannul the promise first made to Abraham. What was Abraham called? He was counted as? Righteousness. Why? Because he he obeyed the law. No, he didn't have the law. The law come 300 years later. See, a lot of churches, and I myself, were there. We, we've, like, let's not blame churches. A lot of people have a mindset, and we grew up in a mindset of performance, and the only way that we can measure our performance is the law. That's our scoreboard. But the law, really, if you understand the Bible and how the Bible is put together, is really only a very small part of our, let's call it, human history. The law only came to be with Moses. Now, if you read Genesis, there's a few years that happened between Adam and Moses. And people there are counted righteous. And if you read Hebrews 11, there's a lot of people in Hebrews 11 who are counted as people of faith who lived before Moses. And then even Moses, we have a misunderstanding because we've put Moses and Christ as opposites. Where Moses actually, Jesus' words in John 5 says, you read Moses, but you think in these writings is eternal life. But he is the very one who wrote about me. Moses didn't want the law. The Israelites did. You need to do some Bible study after today, I'm sure. Moses understood Christ. Hebrews 11 says he, 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 he exited Egypt. The, the riches of Egypt. He was a prince. He was successful. He was wealthy. He had meat. But he said, this is not eternal. This is not my purpose. My purpose is to point the people of Israel, the people of God, to God, to the Savior. And that the purpose of Israel was to preach the gospel to the other nations. But they didn't, because they wanted a scoreboard. And they wanted a king. So you see, they played the wrong game. Their whole existence was based around a scoreboard and a king. And God didn't want to give them either of those. I'm asking you, how are you measuring up? And if you answer anything but Christ, then you've got some work to do. 
You've got some repentance to do, some thinking. Okay? Remember, what is metanoia? A great example is a caterpillar to a butterfly. We looked at it last week. We said, when you go for your driver's license, and you do the K53, and you need to have all the team planner, and you look here, look here, look here, look here, look again, look again. By that time, I mean you, you're done. But that's the law, okay? Now, that's two-dimensional. I mean, we don't yet have cars that can fly. They can go forward, backwards, left and right. But now metanoia is from a caterpillar, two-dimensional, to a butterfly, new dimension. Higher dimension, thinking about things above, not on things of the earth. So if a Boeing now comes and wants to stop at a red light, we have a problem. Why? Because it supersedes that old way of thinking. And so many people get born again, but not renewed in their thinking. We're clean, we're forgiven, we're one with Him, but we think it's going to be one day. Or I want to clean up first and then come to the Lord. Anyone heard that? Here's my soccer, Jesus had it. He says, I just want to bury my father. I just want to sort out my debt. I just want to... He says, come. Come as you are. Come freely. Come and drink. Without pay. Without money. Come and drink. Just come. Believe. Not pay. Believe. I will clean you. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What is witnessed? Spoken of. Prophesied. Told of. About. By who? By Moses. The law. Your Old Testament is amazing, by the way. Because it's all pointing to Christ. The law and the prophets spoke about the righteousness of God apart from the law. So there's two words, law, there. Or two understandings. The one is law as in Ten Commandments, and the one is law as in the first five books of the Bible. So you need to do proper Bible study to get to these things. Romans 3.22 says, Even... So now, just if you don't believe me, Paul writes on and says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all of them that live right, that stop sinning, that confess, that tithe. Know that? Believe. For there is no difference. There's no difference in the old and the new. That's what he's saying. What was prophesied in the law and the prophets is now manifested. That is the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Yes, we need to put faith in Jesus Christ, but where do we get the faith? A good Bible translation will speak about the faith of Christ. Now we have faith in Christ. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we have a misunderstanding of that even. Because the understanding is God's glory is here. This is the mark. We said last week, we all need to jump 10 meters, that's the mark, and we come short. Meaning we jump and maybe some of us get to 9 meters. That's only Jock, because he's the only one in the front row. Like, he's the closest to the holiness, you realize. <laughs> but falling short is not that. Falling short is, is, is doing without. That's an old way of saying we're doing without. We do not have the glory of God. Okay, so the glory of God really is the Spirit of God. For all have sinned and come short, do not have the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He's saying, like, it's free to get that glory. But you need to go and get it. You need to believe. So if I tell you, listen, I'm not Oprah, but if we were Oprah today, and I said, if you 
put your hand under your seat. There's car keys. Oh, I wish I could do that, but I <laughs> that would be awesome. There's car keys. And some people would sit there and say, ah, no, too good to be true. Some people will put their hands under the seat, feel the, the keys and think, ah, oh, it's just a gimmick. Some people would feel, take the keys and say, where's the car? Get in the car and drive off. Who gets the car? The one with faith. Who was the car paid for? Everyone. Who gets eternal life? Those who believe. No, it's too good to be true. We said last week, why did people die in the flood? Very deep answer. <laughs> because they went on the boat. It's the only reason they died in the flood. Noah said, I'm building a boat, get on the boat. Let me say something that might be unpopular. God would have put animals off the boat to put people on the boat. The problem is the animals obeyed. The people didn't. God's not evil. God's not the cause of death. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We have a, a wrong understanding. We need to repent. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.16. I'm just giving you some like shotgun verses on the fact that we cannot deal with sin. God has. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. Listen. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It is as if you're playing a rugby match. And let's uh, use a recent example and say you count tackles. Okay, now Peter Steff the toy had like, what, 28 kilo tackles in the World Cup final. I think it was 28. It was by far a record. The previous record was 18. Tackles doesn't win you the match. What does? The scoreboard. So a lot of people are so busy with their little games that they miss the score. They miss the win. They think they win their game, but at the end of the day, it's the scoreboard that counts. And in the scoreboard, you're so far ahead with Christ that you don't need to play any games. You just need to accept the win and live from that place. That's really the, the, the abundant life. Listen to the NLT. It says, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Isaiah forty three twenty five. You know, this is what... Some people will tell you, no, this is the Pauline approach. We don't believe in Paul. We believe in Jesus. Anyone heard that? No one. You need to speak to more people on the streets. There's a lot of people telling me that. Sangoma told me that. He says, listen, now, you probably believe the New Testament. I'm like, yes, of course. He says, no, but that's too easy. I'm like, you don't understand the Bible, buddy. Because there's no New Testament. 
It's the original testament. What we call old is the law, and what we call new is what was promised to Abraham. So it's the renewed testament. That's a better way of thinking about it. A renewed covenant. Because God never changed his mind. He promised to Abraham righteousness by faith. That is the covenant. Then the Israelites wanted performance, so he gave them what they wanted. Then Jesus comes and fulfills the law. And now he renews the old covenant, the original covenant. So it's the renewed covenant. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That should minister to someone. Because we have a wrong understanding of the law. The law is not evil. The law is the righteous way of discerning whether you're sinful. And then when you realize that you're sinful, what people do wrong is now they think they can fix it. Where the right way is to realize you cannot, I need Jesus. That's the proper use of the law. And we can still use the law as a hyper-grace church. Because people are going to hell without Jesus. Not whether they live holy or not. That's almost irrelevant. When you live unholy, it's a bad testimony, isn't it? When you live holy, it's a good testimony. I promise you, I live more holy now by accident than I ever did trying to live holy on purpose. Because my nature has changed. Who I am has changed. And I'm renewing my thinking that I'm one with God, His righteousness. I'm accepted in the Beloved, so now I can start living accordingly. I love to do the weddings that I do because I always tell people, listen, you can only love with God's love. You can only give what you've got. You can only give what you've received. So you cannot. This is impossible. I will say it. <laughs> I said it yesterday. A marriage is impossible. But God, the highest form of love, no love will ever satisfy except the love that we have with the Lamb. Amen? Isaiah 43. Now, just if you think the New Testament is too good, let's get to the Old. Verse 25. I, even I, who's talking? God. He says, I, listen, not you, me. Really, me, not you. That's what the language is, is telling us there. That's I, even I. I am he who does what? Blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. You see, that's why uh, a hard copy Bible is, is, is still good because it renews our mind. Because we go into the old and we see, oh, this is not the last part that's the easy part that some people think. This is who God is. We looked at Psalm 103 last week. Who forgives all your sins and all your iniquities. Now, when Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, love keeps no record of wrong, he didn't come up with that idea. Did he? No, he just read what the prophets said. And the prophets read what Moses wrote. And they had revelation on what Moses was pointing towards. And that's how we interpret the Bible. So God really, really, really is not interested in remembering your sin. We can prove it from the New Testament. We can prove it from the prophets. We can prove it from the Old Testament. We can prove it from the Psalms. So what do people do? They come with their little laces. God, I'm so sorry. I sinned. I did this wrong. I did this wrong. And God says, I didn't remember. Why are you reminding me? I'm not interested. Well, he's interested in the effect of sin because it hurts and it kills. And even for you, if you're the sinner, the wages of sin is death. And God wants you to live a long life so that you can share the gospel. 
with many people, so that you can have many opportunities, as Paul writes at the end of his life, for Christ. But it's really not about whether you're going to... You know, some people say we shouldn't pray for people to come back from the dead, because what if they mess up their salvation? Maybe they're bad, but they're at least in heaven, so we're not going to bring them back. Like, if they die prematurely, that's the wrong understanding of salvation. If people died without Christ, we should definitely pray for them to come back and give them the gospel. Now, oh, but he's such a bad person, the world is better off without them. No, not if he's dying without Jesus. Then we need to have hope. I blot out your transgression for mine own sake and will not remember your sins. The NLT says, I, yes, I, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. One day they, you can write this on my tombstone. If you want to be more like God, forget about your sin. Because he's forgotten. Just, just interpreting the verse. We are holding on to things that God is not thinking about. We are feeling bad for things God has forgotten. Blotted out. Blotted out is deleted. Everyone either, like these days it's easier because everyone, everything saves in the cloud and it auto-saves and like... But most of us have done a lot of work, or you've written a nice email, or a final year report, or something, and you forgot to save. And for the life of you, you search through all your files, and your recycle bin, and anyone, like, that's happened to me a few times, Herman's hand is up. Like, I, I, that is a terrible feeling, isn't it? Why? Because it's gone, and it's really gone. Like, nah? That's your sin. It's gone and it's nowhere to be found. You can go in the recycle bin, you can, go and you can go look everywhere, in all your files, in all your history, in all your, your, your trash. It's empty. It's deleted. It's blotted out. It's forgotten. Let's just jump down a few verses to verse 11. Ah, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. You cannot save yourself. There is only one that saves, and it's Him. First, I predicted your rescue. Then I saved you and proclaimed it to the world. No foreign God has ever done this. You are witnesses that I am the only God, says the Lord. From eternity to eternity I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. And this is beautiful. No one can undo what I have done. What have I done? I've rescued you. No one can undo it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the greatest news ever. And you know what's the beauty of news? News is telling what has happened. News is not prophecy. This has happened. This is done. This is finished. You cannot undo your salvation. You cannot change what your Savior has done. You cannot reverse it. I know there's some verses that we need to explain, like Hebrews 6, but we can. Because this clearly says that you cannot undo. When we did the wedding yesterday, one of the famous verses is in, obviously in Genesis, where it says a man will leave his uh, mother and father and cling himself to his wife. And then Jesus quotes that, and Paul quotes that in Ephesians 5. 
And what it's really talking about is about Jesus, who leaves the Father to be one with the bride, who leaves the, what he's accustomed to. And now marriage is just us reiterating that story. Us manifesting, representing, playing out, retelling what Christ has done for us. He is the one, the forever, the I am, from eternity to eternity. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. Let's go to Isaiah 1.18. I love this one. It says, come now, let's settle this. We can call, make that the title of our message today. Let's settle it. Once of all, after today, I've given you enough. <laughs> if you still see yourself as a sinner, just re-listen to this message when we post it in the week. Just go through these verses. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. Who's doing it? He is. Who's writing it? The prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 44, verse 22. I have blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions, and as a cloud your sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Everyone has the key. Who's going to go and get the prize? Go be one with the Father. The NLT says, I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. You know, if you drive from here to Durbanville in uh, wintertime, often there's very thick mist. And like you're driving that mist and you cannot see for the life of you. You can't see like a few meters in front of you. And um, one morning, I was actually driving to uh, Daniel and Yanka's wedding. And I was on Solari's Pass. And it was misty and it was early morning. And um, you know what people put their hazards on? To show you that, um, like just to show you, hey, I'm here. <laughs> now what has really dangerous that morning, there was a truck um, stationary in the left lane with its hazards on. But it was so misty, everyone had their hazards on. So now you don't realize that that truck is indeed stationary because everyone has got their hazards on and you can't see. So, praise God, I got to the wedding and it was awesome and the rainbow made up for, uh, for whatever dangers we had to, to, to go through to be there. But on the way back, there was no mist. It was gone. Like, and you, you, you drive in that mist and you feel like, this is, never, this, is this ever going to stop? Like, is this ever going to go away? And a few hours later, it's gone. And like, it's, it's really gone. That's like your sins. There's times in our lives where we struggle so badly with things and with addictions and with temptations. Like we, we just feel like, is this ever going to go away? And then when we renew our minds and we get to the truth of who we are and what Christ has done, like we, we, we come to a place and the mist is just lifted. It's just gone. Now between me driving to the wedding and me driving back, did I do anything to take the mist away? No. So you cannot do anything to, to take your sin away. It's His doing. That's what he says here, as the mist. Like, there's something in there that we need to teach ourselves that God is trying to get to us. I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Oh, return to me, for I've paid the price to set you free. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says what? If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. 
It doesn't say if you believe with your heart, confess with your mouth. Doesn't, that confession is not confessing your sins. It's confessing Christ as Lord. Amen. It doesn't say if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and stop sinning, you will be saved. It doesn't say if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and say sorry for all your sins. So say you have to say sorry for all your sins. Every night. I used to try. Now and then we put in this saucy, you know, when, the, when you burn the meat, you just put sauce on it. Like someone once told me with a, um, what is it, a, a, a lamb spit. This was like students doing this, you know, when you, when, you, when you pay for the spit and they can do everything for you. They say, like, we don't really know what we're doing, we just put jimmy sauce. <laughs> and people love it, jimmy sauce covers everything. And um, what we used to pray like, or I used to pray like, is, Lord, please forgive my sins. I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I did that. I'm really sorry I did that. I never want to do that again. And then please forgive all my sins. So that's sort of your, your blanket statement, just to make sure that everything is covered. Because if we have to say sorry for every sin, and say you forget one sin a day, just one. You say sorry for the 99, but you forget one. Now, I don't know how old you are, but there's 365 days in a year. So if you take 365 times your age, you have a bit of debt, don't we? I mean, I took my snore off, but it doesn't take my years away. <laughs> so that cannot be the case. It cannot be true, because then we have a problem. But he's taken away all your sins. So we, we're going to land the Boeing now. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that for God was in Christ, reconciling what? Believers unto him. Reconciling the world. No longer counting people's sins against them. We have a mindset, or let me say me again, where Christians are forgiven. Because they've accepted the forgiveness. But unbelievers are not forgiven. That's biblically incorrect. Again, I'm not a universalist. I don't believe unbelievers are going to be in heaven. I don't believe we get into heaven automatically. But sin is not the issue. Unbelief is the issue. Because he is not counting their trespasses to them. The world, not believers. So, let's make an assumption, we don't know if it's true, that Hitler is not with Jesus currently. Just an assumption. It's not the fact that he killed millions that got him there, or not there, depending on how you look at it. There's only one reason why Hitler will not be in eternity with us. It's because if he didn't believe in Jesus as Lord. It's the only reason. I know that's challenging, but that's true. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So if we go do evangelical work, we say we're going to preach the good news. I'm asking you, the news that you're preaching, is it good? Turn or burn is not good news. 
Confess your sins is not good news. Telling people how wrong they are is not good news. Good news is, hey man, <laughs> you had a problem. It's been forgiven. Come enjoy eternity with God. Come and live purpose. Come and live new. Come and live fresh. Come and be clean. Because the word says we were enemies and aliens where? In the accounting system of heaven. No. In our minds. So when we, we need to hear the gospel to feel clean, not to be clean. That's another one of those moments where we just want to leave the patty just there. We need to hear the gospel to feel clean, not to be clean. But no, to be alive, to be renewed, to be fresh. So we're forgiven, but we can still be dead. And this is what Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we say or plead, come back to God. When we say stop sinning, we're not speaking for God. That's not our message. When we say live better, we're not speaking for God. When we say confess your sins, we're using the name of the Lord in vain. Because what does it mean? You're using the name of God for emptiness. He never said to say that. He said to say this. You've been committed a message. If an ambassador goes to another country and makes up his own story, he will be very quickly retracted, dismissed, because he's not accurately representing the authority that sent him. Verse 21. For God made... The only one who did not know sin, to become sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. How? Oh, through our union with Him. Through belief. Now listen to Ephesians 5 as I'm closing. Verse 25 says, And to the husbands, you are to demonstrate love for your wives, with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, His bride. For He died for us, sacrificing Himself. So let's forget about marriage for a moment. And let's just focus on Christ in these verses. Verse 26 says, He did this to make us holy and pure, cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of the Word of God. What John the Baptist did was, guys, it's no longer about ceremonial washings. It's not about washing your hands before you eat. It's not about touching or not touching lepers. It's not about systems to keep you clean. Even Jesus himself said, like, whatever comes, a man, what a man touches cannot make him clean or unclean. It's what comes out of him that makes him clean or unclean. He says, guys, I'll baptize you with water. But change your thinking. Because he that comes after me, he's going to baptize you with the Spirit. With power. With eternal life. Because when you wash, you have to wash again. When you brush your teeth, please brush it again. <laughs> but when you get saved, you cannot get saved again. Eternally renewed, eternally clean, eternally fresh. Ever cleansing blood, ever cleanses. He made us holy, pure, cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of the Word. Ephesians 5.27 That He might present it to Himself. What? 
a glorious church. Do you see yourself as part of a glorious church? Don't look at the rust and this is not the church. You are the church. We are the church. We are glorious. We used to come short of the glory of God. Now we have the glory of God. We didn't have the spirit. Now we do. We didn't have eternal life. Now we do. We are glorious. Amen. See yourself as such. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. That's how God sees us. That's how God sees you, believer. How do you see yourself? Holy. Glorious. Without spot, wrinkle or blemish. Forgiven. Eternally secure. Full of grace. Full of mercy. Full of His power. Given a message. I was just meditating on my salvation again in worship. You give me five minutes to meditate on my salvation, I'll preach up a storm anywhere. That's the best prep I can do. Meditate on the fact. <laughs> I'm saved. I'm clean. I'm forgiven. I'm one with Him. Without spot, without ring. All those bad things I did, still do. Not to my account. Being deleted. Like that project that you're still looking for. You know what? Give up. Stop looking for your sins. Stop holding on to your past. Let go of your shame. Be one with Him. Be renewed in your mind. Because John the Baptist told us, the greatest prophet before Jesus who ever lived, change your thinking. God does not deal with right and wrong. God is about truth and the lie. God is about life and death. From the garden, He said, do not eat, do not occupy yourself with the knowledge of good and evil. He said, occupy yourself with life, with Christ, where the true power is. Now we live more right, accidentally, than we ever tried to do. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Stellenbosch area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.ca.